From Red Kite Prayer, I'm Patrick Brady with The Pull. On this week's show, my guest is teacher, author, and creator Kristen Ulmer. In the early 1990s, Ulmer rose to international prominence as the world's foremost female big mountain extreme skier. It's a status she held for an astonishing 12 years. Able to huck any cliff and ski die-if-you-fall lines, she went big and gathered sponsors like Red Bull, Ralph Lauren, and Nikon. And Ulmer was no one-trick pony. Her mountain exploits led her to become an expert ice and rock climber, paraglider, kiteboarder, mountain biker, and even flying trapeze. It's no wonder the outdoor industry voted her the most extreme woman athlete in North America. What's amazing is that she walked away from it all in 2003. After having two near-death experiences in a matter of days, she got off the mountain. The next 15 years saw her study with a Zen master, and from that she emerged to begin teaching people how to deal with fear. Why? Because she'd realized that fear had been the biggest ingredient in her success. Last year, she published the book, The Fine Art of Fear, Why Conquering Fear Won't Work and What to Do Instead. Kristen, thank you so much for talking with us. Uh, Let's see. Now, you're in Salt Lake City, correct? I am. And uh, are we getting something more like summer there now? Well, it's kind of weird. Global weirding is alive and well in Salt Lake City. You know, it's, um, you know, winter wasn't winter so much as it was spring and spring isn't spring so much as it is winter. So, yeah. (laughs) Well, you're not known primarily as a skier at this point. I mean, I guess that's the basis of your reputation. But uh, professionally, you know, your your career has really transitioned um having the warmer weather are you thinking about preparing something for burning man i am my husband and i um always bring art projects to burning man and uh so we're we're involved with an old project of ours the scorpion art car so Mm. see all there at burning man on the scorpion okay well we'll get we'll get to more of that in a minute but you know first let's talk about your background some You yourself have said you weren't a particularly remarkable skier until the day you went to shoot a ski movie, and then one trick later, you were famous. Uh, I mean, maybe not instantly, but that was your trajectory. What is the day-to-day life of the most famous female skier in the world? Like, how often were you shooting? How many days a a year did you spend on the snow? Well, the overview of my career, my ski career, is I started out on the U.S. ski team as a mogul specialist, and so I was really good in the air. And back then, extreme skiing was all about jumping off cliffs, catching air, and there weren't that many guys doing it. And I came along, and I was jumping as big as the guys and throwing tricks. And so I became super famous super fast because of my ability to jump. And then that transitioned into becoming a ski mountaineer, rock and ice climbing became passions of mine. And Next thing you know, I was risking my life, um, uh, you know, sometimes on a daily basis, actually, mm-hmm. uh, skiing, you fall, you die, descends, or jumping big cliffs. And, um, you know, it also gotten to the point where for probably eight years there, I don't think I skied a single turn that it wasn't either filmed or photographed or judged or something. Um, it was relentless. Wow. Even Even after – you know, surgeries, my first turn back would be an ad shoot for, you know, the North Face or something. It was, it was uh, pretty intense, 12 years. Yeah. Wow. Remarkable. 
but then you walked away cold after ne- nearly being killed several times. I mean, what, twice in two days uh, you were nearly killed. Um, and you said, okay, the universe is screaming at me. Now, rather than go into why you quit, um, I really want to hear you talk about what you did with your energy. You know, you've got this incredible drive. You've got a need to be excellent. Um, and you've got a need to fill time. What What were your first thoughts about what's next? Well, the reason why I quit, because I didn't have to. You know, I had gotten to be pretty famous. All I had to do was show up at the parties and drink a can of Red Bull and I'd get paid. I didn't even have to ski anymore if I didn't want to and I could make a living. But the reason why I quit is because something had gone wrong. Like my undercurrent was just off. I had PTSD. I had burnout. Um, I was just sick of skiing. I hated it. Um, I couldn't Mm. sleep. It was... You know, I had to quit, basically, and figure out what the heck had gone wrong. And so then I studied Zen. I started studying Zen. And that's actually what led me to become a fear and anxiety specialist, which is what I do for a living now. Like, I have completely reinvented myself, but out of necessity because – Um, I just, what I was doing, something was wrong, wasn't working, I need to figure out what. So in order to heal my own, um, well, what it turns out, what I needed to do was heal my own kind of repressive approach towards fear and anxiety. Uh, But then I became a mindset sports coach from there to help other people deal with their own repressed emotions, which was affecting their underperforming. Then I started working with people with PTSD and panic attacks, anxiety disorders, help them resolve their repressed emotion problem. And then I wrote a book called The Art of Fear, Why Conquering Fear Won't Work and What to Do Instead. And all that's led to where I sit today talking to you. <laughs> and I, I'm sure we're going to talk to uh, the point of like, what, what does it take to be, you know, great in athletics? You know, what, what have I learned in the last 30 years um, that I can share with your audience? Yeah. Um, boy. Uh, okay. So that headed off in a little different direction. Um, <laughs> well, okay. So to, to zero in on one of the other things that you've devoted yourself to, you've talked about the Scorpion Car and Burning Man. Uh, where did this urge to create come from? Well, you know, if you're a professional athlete, I kind of liken it to kind of the feeling that you feel most of all is that it's a form of radical self-expression, especially in a sport as dramatic and dangerous as uh, big mountain extreme skiing with cliff jumps and all that. Right. Um, it's radical self-expression. And so radical self-expression is kind of the whole premise behind Burning Man. And so it really, um, like when I discovered Burning Man, I found that I didn't have to be a professional extreme athlete anymore. Like I could satisfy that need just through going to this incredible kind of opening event and experience that would take me into kind of higher states of consciousness um, and flow uh, without having to risk my life. And part of the process for me with my husband has been building these huge flame-throwing kinetic art, mobile art structures. Um, Like that's my new form of radical self-expression. My new other form of radical self-expression is just my work. Like I'm super passionate. It gets me out of bed in the morning. Like even to just go spend the day on my computer, you know, um, writing maybe a a new instructional video, like I jump out of bed and, and that's, that's the thing that I live for now. Very cool. Okay, so fear. <laughs> yes. <laughs> when when we met a few weeks ago, you said something I've never heard anyone utter before. I love fear. And that sounds crazy to me on the order of like, 
I don't know, I like dancing with cobras or I like drinking gasoline. But you've made a case for it in your book that came out just last year. And, uh, you know, you do a good job with the title of it. Obviously enough, The Art of Fear. Why on earth do you love fear? Well, it's there's a lot more to it than that. Um, when I was a professional athlete, I had a bit of a paradox going on. I felt fearless. People called me fearless. I was voted the most fearless woman athlete in North America by the outdoor industry. And, uh, and I really felt like I had no fear. But on careful examination, I realized that fear was my greatest motivator, helping me be successful. Like I had fear of being invisible, fear of not being loved. But if you jump off a 70 foot cliff, you're not invisible and people really love you. (laughs) So like fear was definitely motivating me and I had no clue. I also really, you know, fear and excitement neurochemically are exactly the same thing. And Mm -hmm. so I didn't feel fear out there. But I felt excitement, you know, and if you have an intimate relationship with fear, if you actually kind of unconsciously enjoy feeling it, it doesn't feel like fear at all. It just feels like excitement. And so I had this love affair with fear going on. And originally my book was going to be called My Love Affair with Fear. But I also was really, really good at, and you know the language, you know, what we're all taught to do, which is conquer, overcome fear, you know, deep breaths, visualization, shake it off, you know, rationalize it away, positive thinking, right? Like Mm -hmm. I was, you know, really good at all those things. So good that I could repress fear like crazy. Like I could just ignore fear. And um, so it's a paradox. It's like, you know, I loved it, but I also repressed it to the extreme. And and when you make your whole life about one thing, which if you're an extreme athlete, that's exactly what you're doing. You can have that paradox where you both love and hate fear at the same time. So I wouldn't say that I love fear. Um, It's taken me a really, really long time to figure all this out and come to terms with what happened during my ski career. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the repression of fear, which was was the thing that was causing all those problems for me, the PTSD and on and on, um, and, and just healing my relationship with fear, that part of my relationship has gone a long ways towards helping me sleep better, feel better, um, be more motivated. Like, uh, and that's kind of, I guess, what we're going to talk about next. (laughs) Well, okay. You touched on neuroscience, you know, and my understanding of the neuroscience is that uh, when you're feeling fearful, when you feel fear, uh, it causes the release of epinephrine, adrenaline. Um, You know, in small amounts, I get what that feeling of excitement is. But in large amounts, uh, for me, it has always been a performance killer. You know, I'll start feeling jittery in my legs at the top of a descent. Um, And if I'm feeling that way, it's nearly impossible for me to loosen up. You know, as a result, I'm tense. I can't really execute to my ability. Uh, One of the things that you do, I mean, you mentioned uh, studying Zen. You quote the Buddha, the only way is through. Practically speaking, I'm curious, you know, what does that mean for you? How do you apply that concept? So the quote is actually the only way out is through. And if you're feeling excessive anxiety or fear, then that's 
a sign that you've been repressing fear. Because what happens is that undealt with fear that you've been ignoring or trying to tap away or meditate away or take deep breaths and let go of, to use a popular term, it's like it, it's, it doesn't actually go anywhere except for it just gets stored and repressed down in your system. I call it, you lock it in the basement, right? And you mm-hmm. throw away the key and you don't want to have anything to do with it. So imagine, and I'd love to personify fear. So imagine fear is a person in your life and you've now locked that person in the basement. Let's say it's a child that you've locked in the basement. You know, that child is now doing anything it possibly can to get out. It is screaming. It is yelling. It is hijacking your mind in the middle of the night when your guard is dropped and showing up as monkey mind. It's like jumping up and down, desperately trying to get your attention. And next thing you know, you seem to have an overabundance of irrational fear, excessive anxiety, and you think, okay, now I need to really take some three deep breaths to get rid of it and do more tapping and more meditation and more visualizations. And it buys you a moment of relief from it, but it actually exacerbates the underlying problem and cause, which is you're not dealing with your fear in an honest way. And so just to summarize, if you have a problem with fear and anxiety, the fear and anxiety is actually not the problem. It's the way that you've been dealing with it or rather not dealing with it that is the problem. It's your resistance to the fear that is the problem, not the fear itself. Interesting. Okay. Um, Now, your book has a load of prescriptive advice for people dealing with fear. You know, I don't want to ask you to summarize how you deal with fear, you know, cheat people out of the tapestry that is the book. But I'm curious, when a client comes to you and says, I have a fear of X, where do you start? What's what is your beginning point, you know, in terms of an interview? How how does that conversation evolve? How it evolves when I work with a client, I typically only work with somebody for about six hours. Um, You know, you can spend your whole life trying to fight a war with fear and learn how to win a few battles. And ultimately, that war will prove unwinnable and it'll tap all your resources and lead to burnout and depression and underperforming and um, a host of a lot of other problems, PTSD, um, anxiety disorders, panic attacks, insomnia. Um, it's a it's a really rough road. But actually turning towards the thing that you won't deal with, like the Buddha says, the only way out is through, you know, and actually being willing to learn how to feel your fear in an honest way, it doesn't take that much effort. And uh, so six hours I work with a client and I kind of broker a conversation between them and their fear that's being carried out in their unconscious mind that they, they're really not aware of on their surface, just like I wasn't aware of what my relationship was with fear during my ski career. Mm-hmm. So I help broker that conversation, see where the stuck places are, and then get them unstuck, kind of heal the relationship between somebody and their fear, set them, on fr- set them free um, to then be more higher performing, more magnificent. First of all, not even have these problems anymore, but also then tap into fear as an actually previously underutilized resource to have you be magnificent out there. Wow. Pretty cool, huh? Uh, you, you, you make it sound pretty sexy. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And you know, let me, let me summarize it this way too, because You know, the people that are listening are athletes, right? Yep. All right. So I have found that there's four different ways that people deal with fear. And 
the first way I'm going to outline is how like 99.99% of us deal with fear because it's what's explicitly taught in our society. And what I do when I work with a client is I kind of take them through the steps where we get to the fourth level, which um, we'll get to in just a little bit. So the first bit is, you know, we see fear as a personal weakness or it's false evidence appearing real. And we seek to conquer or overcome this fear. You know the language. Like it's really hard to find somebody that isn't teaching overcoming fear. And uh, we do all these things, the deep breaths, the meditation, right? And the visualization, the positive thinking, right? Yep. And it works. You feel less fear. Otherwise, people wouldn't teach this, right? It works. It makes you feel better. So coaches, trainers, your family, you know, all support this kind of effort. And it's what I was taught during my ski career. Specifically, I, ta- was learn- I learned this through the U.S. ski team. And so it buys you a temporary moment of relief. But everybody teaches this but me because I realized that in doing that, it actually causes long-term consequences and problems. You can get away with this for about 10 years, and then all of a sudden, it just becomes so much harder to do. Um, It's a lot of work to just ignore or avoid or control or conquer or fight your fear. Mm -hmm. And the war just kind of takes over your whole life eventually. And next thing you know, you have to become such a rigid, stoic person to not deal with your fear and you have more injuries. You know, your body starts to ache because you're so tight. You know, you start to have anxiety. Anxiety is just kind of recirculating fear from the basement. You have insomnia, so you're getting less sleep. You're underperforming because you're not tapping into the resource that is fear. You're just fighting a war with it, which is the same as fighting a war with yourself. And it's just exhausting. You burn out and you quit. And that's it, you know? Um, So that's the first way. Any questions? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Only two or three dozen. And we're all taught this. This is what we, you know, in our society, emotional intelligence is seen as our ability to cognitively understand our emotions and control them. Mm -hmm. And so we may go to a shrink to try to understand them, um, you know, but trying to understand your emotions is it's like trying to put together a puzzle with pieces laying all over the place and they're moving and constantly changing. You don't even know what the puzzle is that you're trying to put together and it's just relentless. And anyway, so that's the first way. And, you know, I don't subscribe to that. It's what I used to do during my ski career and it really messed me up. So second possible way of dealing with fear. And this is where you have a perspective shift where you now start to accept that it's normal and natural to feel. It's a part of life. Mm -hmm. It's not a sign of uh, weakness or a personal failure if you feel it or anxiety. Um, You know, bringing in some more neuroscience, like fear is supposed to show up in your system and move through you and out of your system in between 10 to 90 seconds or for as long as the perceived threat is there. You know, and and, uh, like let's say you're about to, you know, be in a race and so long as there's the perceived threat there, oh my gosh, fear of failure or I might make a fool out of myself, like it's going to stay there. But then once you start your race, we all kind of know that it dissipates, yep. um, right? And you just have to be patient. So that's a step in the right direction. But the thing is about this is it still reeks of like overcoming fear. It's like you're using your rational mind to kind of not deal with your fear. You're still in your head. Um, So the third way of dealing with fear is you actually learn how to deal with your emotion, your emotions emotionally, not intellectually, which is, you know, you start to learn how to feel them, not think about them or rationalize them away. Mm -hmm. So um, 
step three or, or way of dealing with fear uh, three is you learn how to feel your fear, which takes you organically into your body because that's where the emotions are felt. Right. So all of a sudden, you're not in your head any, anymore. You're actually in your body. And we all know that it's a better place from which to perform from your body versus your head. Yes. Yes. All right. So that's the second and the third way of dealing with fear. Now, any questions besides a million? <laughs> I, well, I mean... Uh, let's talk a, l- a little bit about how you feel that in your body. You know, you've written that you feel it, uh, you know, one of the ways you feel it is in your belly and you can, uh, distract yourself with eating, but that's a bad plan. Um, talk a little bit more about how you feel fear in your body. For me, when I do a body scan, um, I have this four-step art of fear method that takes people out of their heads and into their bodies and helps them have an honest relationship with their emotions and sets them free from any repressive pattern. So what I do is I close my eyes and I just do a body scan and I notice what do I feel, like what kind of discomfort is it is that I feel. And even if it doesn't feel like fear, it just feels uncomfortable, uh, fear has something to do with it. Mm-hmm. And I won't go into details here because I know we're running out of time. But beneath, you know, jealousy is fear. Beneath frustration is fear. Beneath um, powerlessness is fear. Um, it's kind of like the primary ingredient that makes up all kind of uncomfortable feelings. Pain even, you know, like your pain is exacerbated by the emotional component of fear. So anyway, you find whatever discomfort you have in your body and I give it a name. Like right now I feel anxiety and I feel it in my throat and in my chest. Like where do I feel it and how strong is it? Well, it's, it's about a level, level five out of 10. So mm. that's what I do is I do a body scan. Mm-hmm. And then um, I learn in my four-step method, I teach people then how to feel it in an honest way. And feeling it is, and thinking about it are two very, very different things. You know, so the third way in which people I see deal with fear is they learn how to feel it. Like I said, it takes them out of their head and into their bodies. It's a much better place to perform from athletically. And then here's the really juicy point is all of a sudden, not only are you in your body, but you can now tap into the energy resource that is that fear that's here to help you be magnificent out there. And that's where we're headed next. Okay. Step four. Step four. All right. And it's not step four because, you know, I don't want to confuse anybody. I have a four-step art of fear method. This is not it. These are just the four ways in which I see people dealing with fear. Right, right. And the fourth way, um, which I've I've only seen a few athletes and a few people. And the thing about this is we're starting to see this more and more. But these people are some of the the most, um, I don't know, accomplished people in our society, like people that are doing great things in business. Athletes like Laird Hamilton do this. Mm -hmm. Um, um, Jeremy Jones, arguably the best big mountain snowboarder in the world. Jesse Richmond, the best uh, kiteboarder in the world. You know, they, I asked them, like, you know, tell me about your relationship with fear. And they all use the same word. And it's a word that I had in my book, which makes me super proud, is that they have an intimate relationship with fear. Mm-hmm. They actually merge with fear. And in order to really help everybody understand what this looks like, we got to consider animals because animals have a super healthy relationship with their emotions. And so consider Bambi. You know, Bambi's eating grass in a field somewhere and there's no fear or anxiety, right? But all of a sudden there's some rustling in the bushes and the amygdala, you know, perks right up. 
um, the the part of our brain that determines safe or not safe, and everything is run first through the amygdala. And all of a sudden, there's a perceived threat, shot of fear to the body. The amygdala is actually the manufacturing plant for fear. And because of this fear, Bambi perks right up. Her hearing's better. Her eyesight's better. You know, she's fully sharp in the present moment. She scans the bushes. It's a tiger. And then she starts running. And she runs faster than she ever has because Bambi plus fear equals super Bambi. And then she's back eating grass in a field, you know, 10 minutes later, there's no PTSD, you know, everything's Mm -hmm. calmed down. Of course, in my story, she survives, right? (laughs) (laughs) But can you see that Bambi plus fear equals hyper alert Bambi, flow Bambi, like in the zone Bambi, like fear takes us into these higher states of consciousness that we hope to achieve in our sports and little else does. Fascinating stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, Wow. Okay. Moving on. Uh, As I told you uh, before we started the interview, a, a big piece of what this show is about is craft. You know, the notion of being good at something as a result of hard work. Um, You've been very good at multiple things. Extreme skiing, ice climbing, kiteboarding, mountaineering, uh, art, not dying. Um, (laughs) We, I mean, that's a skill, right? Yes. (laughs) Um, And I think now we can count coaching among them. Um, The path to be a great athlete, no matter what the discipline, is pretty obvious. But as someone who guides people through and out of fear, this is a different sort of coaching. And I'm curious, you know, what the path has been for you in this? I mean, how do you identify how to be better at what you're doing now than you were a year ago, two years ago? Well, first of all, you know, we we just can't help ourselves. Whenever we have a conversation about fear, we just say things like you just said, oh, I help people go through and out of fear. You know, I'm actually helping people go into fear and tap into that incredible resource to have us be magnificent. Um, I'm also helping people stop the madness of repression and all the problems that that causes. Mm -hmm. And so I just want to point that out because – you know, like I said, we the just language cannot, we use matters. We cannot help ourselves. Like the language, what we use to discuss fear matters. Like if somebody is used, th- this is like the best takeaway from this whole uh, podcast that somebody can take. Like if you're used to saying fear holds me back from being the athlete I want to be, change your language to my unwillingness to deal with my fear is what's holding me back from being the athlete I want to be. Like that language changer is huge. Yeah. You know, yeah. like it, it really identifies what the problem is and then sets you on course towards resolving it in the future. So as for me and and what I, I guess, attribute my success to, I mean, I've reinvented myself so many times. Um, and I, I'm probably most proud of all of not getting too hung up on my athletic career. I mean, I was the best in the world at something very difficult for 12 years. Like, that's kind of cool, right? Yeah, um, yeah. I but, think most of us would enjoy that for a while. Yeah. And, you know, I, I feel now that that was just a stepping stone to take me to what I was really supposed to do with my life, which is this work now that I'm doing with people around the subject of fear. I mean, we really need some help with what to do about fear. Um, What we're doing is just not working, you know, Mm -hmm. we are now at the point where we're medicating our fear away rapidly in our society. And, 
I mean, there's, it's just, what's the definition of insanity? Try the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. Yep. Like I want to, I want to help people try something new. And I just feel like every, every step of my life has just been leading me to figure out the mystery that is, you know, these problems that we have, such as underperforming or burnout or insomnia or PTSD or depression and anxiety disorders and panic attacks and all that. Like for me, my ski career was just a a kind of part of the journey, you know, that the universe had for me, grooming me to be a fear specialist and anxiety specialist. And, uh, and I've just been lucky enough to listen to the lessons along the way to come up with what I've come up with and thus writing this book and talking to you. Very cool. Now, I mean, you, you've made a pretty spectacular case for, you know, helping people who are stuck in their lives, have, have things that they, uh, may maybe need to overcome or, um, ought to overcome or would benefit from overcoming. But, you know, I know that in our audience right now, we've got people listening who are questioning why they should address fear. For those people who have a relatively stable, comfortable life and, you know, have a sport they love and do it at a level that they enjoy, you know, why does someone like that need to address fear? Um, You know, why should their outlook on fear change? Well, I mean, there's obviously payoffs for repressing fear. Mm -hmm. You know, you get to appear fearless. You get to be tough and stoic. Um... And, you know, if you found what works, you know, to make you feel better, to have better relationships, to sleep better, to perform pretty good, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? Like, you know, I I was able to be the best in the world at something for 12 years by repressing fear. Like, you know, it's one route. But if you get to a point, like I said, you can get away with it for about 10 years, where all of a sudden just there seems to be something off in your undercurrent or you have one of these problems that I outlined, um, like the PTSD or the burnout, or um, where you used to perform really well, but maybe you had an injury, mm-hmm. you know, and now you're just like holding, you just feel so held back. Or maybe you're getting older and you're starting to feel more and more fear, you know, all of a sudden that undealt with fear is now kind of starting to scream and yell. Um, or if you feel like you perform, you know, you feel fearless maybe in one aspect of your life, like maybe in your sport, but then you're pickled in fear in relationships or in business or vice versa. You know, I had a client once who, very famous doctor, absolutely fearless in her profession and a man's world for the, for that matter. But she would go skiing and she would just come, come on glued. She was just terrified. Like if you find that just something just seems off, Mm -hmm. then, you know, one of the best things you can do is have what I call a fear practice. And, you know, we are really a society that just really wants to turn towards the light to solve our problems. And so we have gratitude practice, forgiveness practice, you know, choose love over fear, right? And uh, it's very noble, but it's also very inauthentic. And it's, you know, it's trying to turn – 
it's just trying to turn something negative into a positive. Like you can't make fear and you can't turn fear into love, right? You have to actually turn towards the thing that you won't look at. Like here's, here's the kind of the big takeaway, whatever you won't look at is actually the key to freedom, not trying to replace what you won't look at with something more light, but actually if you turn towards the darkness and deal with it in an honest way, it will set you free and it won't take a lot of time. You know, it won't, you won't have to spend your whole life trying to, you know, force yourself into more of a state of gratitude or, or joy or love, um, it will just actually be the exact process that transforms the fear into gratitude, joy, and love. Well, Kristen, what's next for you? Well, I am just waiting to see what industry kind of grabs me and gobbles me up. And so right now, um, I have some interest from the PGA, like they're interested in having me be a mindset golf trainer, um, which, yeah, you know, there's few and few of those, you know, mm-hmm. everybody teaches the tech teaches the technique of golf and they don't know how to teach the mindset, but I do. Um, I'm also being tsunamied by the PTSD world. I just created a uh, online at-home course on PTSD that actually resolves PTSD versus just helps people turn the volume down. And I'm actually just finishing it this week and it's really good. I'm, I, I'm so proud of it. It's wow. I'm so excited about it because um, I had PTSD and so I, I learned what to do and it works. Um, and uh, so that's those are some of the things that are on my plate. Um, I also have online courses addressing chronic anxiety and uh, fear of failure as a holdback. I do uh, online um these online courses are, are phenomenal, but if you can swing it, also working with me live is well worth the effort and time and expense. Uh, I have live events that are not too expensive. Working with me one-on-one, though, is very expensive, but sure. you know, I, I, uh, I enjoy that too. Remarkable. It, you certainly caused me to reframe my thinking about fear, and I'm going to be looking back at some of the practices that you've got in the book. I don't think of myself as a particularly fearful person, but you've caused me to want to spend a little more time in introspection and think about, well, where might I be stuck in my life? Where might I be stuck in my career? Um, it's it certainly opened my eyes. Uh, Kristen, thank you so much. And one last thing. Like, yeah. I don't feel fear at all, right? It's just not well, it's not true. I do. I feel anxiety, which is just the, another name for fear. Mm-hmm. And so especially if somebody says, I don't feel fear at all, you know, but if you feel any kind of any other unpleasant sensation or discomfort, that's just fear redirected from the basement in another way that doesn't feel like fear, like sadness, you know, mm-hmm. not or anger. 95% of what we know is modern anger is nothing more than undealt with fear coming out redirected because anger feels more powerful than feeling fear. Right. That was an interesting lesson for me some years back. Um, yeah, and and very helpful. You know, allowed me to to drill down on on emotions rather than just reactions. Thank you so much for the time. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Thanks to my guest Kristen Ulmer for joining me on the poll. To learn more about her work, you can visit kristenulmer.com. There will be a link in our show notes at Red Kite Prayer. That's it for this episode of the poll. I hope you enjoyed it, and if you did, I hope you'll leave the show a good review on iTunes or wherever you get your media. Finally, if you're not already listening to our recent reboot of the Paceline podcast with my new co-host, Celine Yeager, 
a.k.a. The Fit Chick. I encourage you to give us a listen. Until next week, have a great ride.